Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where I get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I'm talking to Erica Appleroos. Erica is a doctor in theology and associate professor in philosophy of religion with more than 20 years of experience as a teacher, coach, and speaker. Erica works as an associate professor at Lund University in Sweden, and in 2019, she started a private coaching business. Erica has a vast array of interests and expertise, ranging from the scientific to the artistic. And I was thrilled for the chance to ask her about her favorite book, and fascinated to hear why she chose the Swedish classic, The Emigrants, by Wilhelm Moberg, as the best book ever. Good morning, Erica. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Thank you, Julie. It's it's an honor to be here. Although I guess it's not good morning where you are, right? No, it's uh, it's eight o'clock in the evening. I'm in Madeira, a Portuguese island in the Atlantic. Oh, you are. I thought you were calling me from Sweden. I could have been. I am from <laughs> Sweden, but I, I spend the the winter here in Madeira because of the climate. What is the literary life in Madeira like? Are there a lot of bookshops? Yes. In fact, there is the biggest, it's said to be the biggest, most comprehensive bookstore in, in Portugal. It's actually in Funchal. Really? It's a bit amazing. Yes, it is. But it's it's huge. And it's got every, every it's said to have every book that's been published in Portugal. And it hangs in, in it hangs in little plastic bags on <laughs> on clothes pegs. I've been in there and there's several several florists with books and just one 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 of each. It's an amazing place. And then of course there are several ordinary bookstores too. So it's a very cultural island. I went it was a book fair the other a week ago. And last year I went to a book fair too and and yeah for being such a small island it's only 250 something people living here. They, oh my gosh. So a lot of books being read and sold and, and out on the fair, book fair. So it's a, a small literary island. <laughs> I guess you could say so, yeah. Tell me how, about your reading life. How did you become a reader? I, I remember learning to read. Or rather, I, remember, I don't remember learning to read because my mother has told me that I learned to read before I could speak. So oh. that I was I was crawling. She would put out, uh, you know, um, words written. She written words on large pieces of paper, say "mum" or "dad" or "dog" or things like that. And she she'd tell me to oh go and get dog or go and get mum. But I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. But I, I crept, crawled on the floor and and got her the right thing. So I kind of <laughs> remember. I, I cannot actually remember a time where I didn't read. I did. Re- I do remember when I was four. My father promised me for each book I finished, he would, it was in a special series, he would get me another one. I think it was a kind of illustrated science for kids, something like that. He would, I would get another one. So I finished these books one at a time. And in the end, he said, no, 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 sorry, can't afford this. (laughs) Because I held him to his promise too long. Right. So reading is just like breathing to me. I just, I love it. So your parents obviously must have been big readers. Yes. Yes, they were. And I, I st- that's where I started my reading. I read through the library at home. And, and of course, it's, it also has a sort of sad 
side to it because I was a kind of lonely child. So I spent a lot of time reading and found my friends in the books. I swept through my parents' library and there were the all kinds of books, but my historical fiction, thrillers, crime, crime, puzzle, Agatha Christie sort of crime books, a lot of classical literature, the Gulag Archipelag and, and old sort of Swedish books written by classic, you know, the, the, the famous authors from the 19th century, 18th, 19th, 20th century. So I read, read all of that. And science fiction, I loved science fiction. George Orwell's 1984 was one of the first. I'm talking about my childhood, just re- re- recollect what I used <laughs> to read. Yes, and A, a Brave New World. That, mm-hmm. Those were my among my favourites. Yeah, and and uh, the em- immigrant the immigrant series of Willem Wobe. That was one of the first that was in my my parents' home too. That was one of my first delights in reading. And of course, I also read children's books. I was, I was going to ask because I thought, wow, you really went from getting those those dog flesh cards right into Agatha Christie and George Orwell. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, well, I, I did read all those in when I was around ten. Mm-hmm. I did, but also read. I loved uh, C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. you know, the yes. Narnia series. Yeah, I read a lot, and I had a period where I read all the fairy tales I could find. Good old-fashioned fairy tales with princesses and princes and dragons and, and things. Yes. And I finally, I, I even rewrote one of them because I thought they were too, you know, it's always the prince looking for yes. a young lady. And so I rewrote one of them, exchanging the genders of everyone. And it was quite fun. I couldn't I could write, so I asked my, my mother to write it. I dictated as so she wrote it. And it was quite quite amusing. It was a, a young princess who didn't have a husband, and all the all the council ladies begged her to to find a husband, and they searched all the realm and collected all the young, pretty men they could find. <laughs> you know, and on it went. Quite exciting. And what about now? Where what are your favorite genres now? Is there a certain place of the bookstore where you like to spend time, or are you still sort of all over the place? In a way, I'm all over the place, but a special place in my heart has the science fiction mm-hmm. section, not the fantasy section particularly. Some of them can be quite good, but but the 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 pure, more science fiction, Asimov, Clark. What what is it that you like so much about science fiction? I think it is that it it lets you dream, it lets you. Well, it lets you escape reality for a while and uh, have some fun. And also it's it's supposed to be, it's not unrealistic in a way. In a way it's unrealistic, but it's not out of, it's not extraordinary. It's It only takes more science to make science fiction. Whereas fantasy, okay, it's more like a fairy tales, mm-hmm. which are amusing in their, in their way, but they are, they are different genres. And, and I like this uh, reality connection. But it's very, very thin. It's still there. I was looking for because I was reading. If we're talking about science fiction, a a woman writer. Because most science fiction books are written by men, but mm-hmm. there's a really, really good. Oh yes, Becky Chambers. That's the name. Have you read anything about Becky no. Char- Chambers? Well, she's written a series, "The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet." 
is one of them. And there's a series I could recommend it. It's uh, she writes well. It sounds like it might be environmental dystopia. Not at all. Oh, Not okay. <laughs> You'll be quite safe from that. Okay. Way, way out in outer space. My friends, I wish we could sit across from each other at a coffee shop and chat about books all day long. But since we can't do that anytime soon, let's be social media pals. Follow me over on Instagram at Best Book Ever Podcast, and you'll see lovely pictures of my weekly guests, read more about the books we discuss, see occasional photos of my reading life, and bookish news from friends of the show. You might even catch a glimpse of our official mascot, Benny, the meanest bunny on the planet. I really loathe most social media, but I love the Instagram book community. So come on over and say hi at Best Book Ever Podcast. I look forward to chatting with you there and seeing what books you are sharing. Now, back to the show. Do you remember the first time you read The Emigrants? Yes, I think I do, because I read it before it was made into a movie. And I think okay. that was 1973, okay. I believe, something like that. And then I was I was nine at the time, so I must have read it before that. But I can't remember the actual, because I've reread it so many times. Actually, I, I reread it almost every Christmas, around every Christmas. The whole series or just the yeah. first one? <gasps> well, really? if I start with the first one, I cannot stop. <laughs> But I think I, I do think the first one is the best. And when I come to the last one, the last letter home, the final letter home to Sweden, I always end it with a sense of sadness or, or no, it can't be over. I want, I want more. I want to stay in this world. Can you summarize this book for my listeners who perhaps haven't come across it the way I hadn't come across it before? Okay, I'll I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> It's it's a book. It's, it's set in a Swedish small, the countryside in the south of Sweden. It's poor. It's in the beginning of the. It's in eighteen hundred and forty something, thirty forty, and it's the the main characters are a young couple, called Oscar and his wife Christina. They meet and they marry and they get four children. Carl Oscar is very stubborn young man and he takes over the small farm of from his his father and his mother because his father was injured from us a, a big boulder the, the the soil was so difficult to to farm there were stones and boulders everywhere and so they they lived a very poor life Carl Oscar had a brother Robert a teenager and he had to serve as a a hired farmhand I think you call it and he was mal- badly treated. In that time, they could they could hit their employees. These are the main main characters, but there are also a lot of other people. Uh, Christina, she has an uncle who is very religious, but not not in the Swedish Church, the Lutheran Church. But he has his own Bible study groups, and that was forbidden at that time, very much forbidden. So he got a warning from police and from the church, and he had to stop it or leave the country. And he had taken under his wings also a former prostitute called Ulrika. And what happened is that the young the young brother, Robert, 
he starts to find reading about this new promised land of bounty and, and where everyone is treated equally and there are gold on the, ro- on the roads and, you know, America, and he wants to emigrate. So one day he takes, plucks up your courage and goes to his older brother and says that he wants his share of the inheritance in, in, the, in the little farm because he wants to emigrate. And he's surprised because his bigger brother, Koloskar, has had the same thoughts because he's so hardworking and the whole family is so hard. They work and work and work, but they can never, for each year, their debts become higher and higher. And he, he thinks that in the country where I work as much as I can and I still cannot get any better, it's not a place where I want to live. So, so he's thinking about emigrating too. And they are all getting advised against it by, by the past, the church and, and everyone. Christina, the wife, she really, really doesn't want to emigrate, leave, leaving her parents and, and every friends and everything she holds dear. But one day something happens that makes, makes her change her mind too. Maybe that is going into too much detail, but they are in so, so much hardship. They didn't die from starvation, but they starved. Mm-hmm. And the children, so Christina, why Christina didn't want to leave was because of her children. She didn't want to take them out on the ocean. But when her children finally suffered too much, she, she agreed they could, they could leave. And that was an adventure. The, the people we talked about, they, they left in a wagon and had to go for hours and hours to get to the ocean. They had never seen the ocean before. And then they embarked on a little a brig, Carlotta, Charlotta, I think it was called, very small. And they had to spend 10, 10 weeks suffering from, you know, all the kinds of things you suffer from <laughs> on a small boat on the ocean. They packed, they were totally packed. And some of them died of the passengers, of course, on the way over. So I think the first book, The Emigrants, ends when they finally reaches reach the New York Harbour. Some sometimes there they they disembark, and not all of the party that left survived the journey, but most of them did. And the rest of the series is taking them from there. For the purpose of this podcast, I read the first book in the four book series, The Emigrants. Mm. After that is un- in English, they're called Unto a Good Land, The Settlers and the last letter home. Do they stick with this same group of people through all four of the books? Yes. Yes. So by then you really know them you well. Really, you really know them. You get to follow Carl Oscar and his wife, Christine, and their children. Because the first book, they just arrive mm-hmm. in the United States, emigrating from Sweden. You get to follow them all over the continent to the new settlement, finding where to live. You get to follow his brother, Robert the Younger, the farmhand, the enthusiastic, going on to searching for gold with his friend. And I won't say what's happening, but it's so it's very, very adventurous and very sad. And you get to follow everything and they grow up and, and you see the settlement growing from just, you know, walking out to the forest with an axe until you get the first little uh, general store and things. And what happens to them? And the last letter is, of course... You know, the last letter. It's just it's the story of, it's a really, they have happy lives. 
Yes. They have real lives. I think that's what why I like it, the series and the book, because they are so they are so real. And the author with a movie he doesn't shrink from showing both the good sides and the bad side sides of life. He shows us the pains, but also the the love, the love between Christina and Koloska is wonderful to read about. And the new life created for the children. They grow up, they get a new life, they don't starve anymore. But that also has the consequences of they speaking another language and the grandchildren cannot speak the language of the grandparents anymore. So sadness oh, is always gosh. the good, the good and the sad when the Swedish group, the little family, they started off in the beginning of the 1840s to emigrate from Sweden to America. And they were the first family in, in their area at all. Nobody knew what this new big country was. And everyone advised against it. But they they decided to go. And there's one very touching scene where their old parents, or the, the parents of Carl Oscar, they stand by the gate and they wave goodbye to their both, both of their sons. They have one daughter still left in Sweden and their grandchildren. And the emigrants, they are all, you know, very excited and happy because they're going to a new life. Of course, a bit sad because they're saying goodbye to their parents. But the father of the old man, he says to somebody, I don't remember who, why are you so serious? Well, I'm not waving goodbye to my, my sons. I'm following their coffins, sort of. That, that was their funeral carriage he would was waving goodbye to and not only theirs but my grandchildren and grandchildren's grandchildren it's not only them who were moving but all the generations to follow it makes you think doesn't it that every every decision you make every choice you make well they're not all that straightforward they have consequences they have good consequences and they have bad consequences all at the same time Maybe they are not even good or bad, but they are just consequences. Mm-hmm. And we have to choose what consequences we want to live with. And sometimes we don't even know what they are. What is the place of this book in Sweden? Is this a childhood favorite book or is this something no. that is given to children in school? Or, or where does this uh, book no. rest? Okay, it's not a childhood book. Not at all. Okay. I, was an unu- I was an unusual child. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I believe, yeah. I suspected. <laughs> yes, no, it's not a childhood book at all. Okay. I, I, I believe that in some schools, you, when I was young, you were supposed to come across it, to read it, and what's equivalent is for you when you're in the late teens in school. It's something that's the general education. You, you cannot pass by it. You know, you know about it. It's, uh, it's part of our history. It's part of our history. I mean, it's definitely acclaimed in Sweden because, again, as mm-hmm. I was researching, I saw that there is a statue of Carl Oscar and Christina. In yeah. I'm going to say the name incorrectly. Karlsham, is that correct? Karlström, yes. Karlsham. That's where they left from. I mean, and, in the fiction. <laughs> okay, I haven't thought this through, but I don't know that I can think of any statues of fictional people. Is that true? In America? Maybe. I can't. Oh, maybe that's true. Because I mean, they they are such a symbol for all the 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 I don't know how many Swedes that emigrated in the mm. 
around 1840 to 18 to the beginning of 19 1910 but of millions mm-hmm. the families the emigrants there there's there's a museum also in that those areas because so many people emigrate and almost everyone here has relatives in america so so they stand as a symbol for all those people who took who were so brave and courageous and i think that's one of the things too later on i mean I, i've got plenty of relatives that emigrated later but they were you know they were sent the tickets from older brothers or they were already in established society there were suites and schools and everything but the first the first families who who left who this this book is about they didn't know anything they had no one waiting for them they didn't know the language they didn't they didn't know what to expect and they just they just left they left everything they knew just to take this bold leap of faith really to follow their dream they th- they believed that they would get somewhere better they yeah i find it admirable and scary so scary so is that what appeals to you so much about this book is this the the inner strength of these characters or this ability to take a risk yeah i think so i think so it's both it's both been very inspiring mm. because that's kind of life i would want to live myself to to be to be to know what i want and to follow my dreams and to be to, to be strong and loyal because they're very they decide something i mean christina and she, once she says yes she never ever blames her husband or said what did you do why did you put us through this once you said yes that's a yes and she's very loyal and they endure all the hardships together and they just do it i'm so i'm so inspired by their by their courage and, and their lives do you have a favorite part of this book oh dear there's so many favorite parts but one of the most moving parts that make always makes me cry is the harvest didn't go well for several years in a row well, they had four children and the youngest one was just about to be christened and to prepare for this meal christina cooked porridge she prepared porridge and that was they they, I mean, they didn't have anything to eat maybe some potatoes and so porridge was oh that's feast she prepared the porridge and they had to save it for the for the christening dinner so she put it in the cellar and and the oldest child she was four her name was anna and she was hungry of course she was hungry she was always hungry so she sneaked into the cellar and she ate my she ate she got free <laughs> access to this full bowl of porridge and she ate as much as she could and they found her there moaning and her belly was all you know full but then in the night she just she got in such pain she screamed, she screamed, and her belly was just bloated. They sent, there were no doctors at that time, not in the countryside, but they sent for a wise woman who said that, well, the porridge, they they had expanded in the little girl's stomach, so it had ripped ripped her intestines, so it was nothing to do. So they, they could just, all they could do was just spend the night with her, her hearing her anguished pains and 
her asking for forgiveness because she was thought, oh, forgive me, please forgive me. I shouldn't have eaten the porridge. Please forgive me. Take away the pain. And she was only four years old that they couldn't take away her pain as she died. And that was so, so horrible. And that's, that's the, the event that made her mother, Christina, change her mind. And she's told her husband, Koloska, I, I, I'm with you. Let's go to America. It can't be any worse than this. It can't get any worse than this. You, you find out later on that they were very restricted in what they could bring with them to America. But Koloska, he brought the little shoes, her little shoes. As I was reading this, I realized how provincial my immigrant education is because I have read a lot about uh, Mexican immigration or Chinese immigration mm-hmm. to California. Yeah. Um, my family is Irish, so I know a lot about Irish immigration. And it, mm-hmm. it occurred to me that as I was reading it, I kept thinking, I know so little about Swedish immigrants in America, and they are concentrated up in the in the Minnesota area. And I've just missed these stories entirely. And I realized what um, poverty that is in my life that I've I've missed a probably a great wealth of stories of immigration from all over. Yeah, probably. I mean, your your, your country is so vast and mm-hmm. has received immigrants from all, all over the place. So it's, I mean, it's no wonder. I mean, mm-hmm. you live in one place and you get the stories from around there. They take that up in the in the, in the series too, because after a while you get the mixing, mixing of people. Suddenly you've got an Italian shopkeeper and their children fall in love with the Swedish farmer's children and they get all these mixed nationalities and they all become Americans. Yeah. So you follow that process too in this series, what happens to the next generation and the, the next and the next. Mm-hmm. And what I read was, in the end, yeah, well, the, the, old, the parents were, were right. Their grandchildren and grandchildren, all the generations, were taken away from them. They weren't, they didn't even know the, their own language. And did they know that? Did they realise that, Colosco and Christina? They wanted a better, better country for their better life for their children but if they want them to become you know different people with different values different mm-hmm. culture because that happened too they couldn't you know they couldn't keep their swedish culture swedish values it was all mixed mm-hmm. they didn't know they couldn't know if and if they had known would they still have emigrated i don't know I, i'm sure they should have they would have but it's interesting to, to think, and I think also today, that's the experience of many immigrants, immigrants and immigrants, that the, the, the next generation um, wants to follow, of course, the culture, the cultural codes and norms and, and rules, what's expected in the country that they have, where they now live, because that's the only country they know of as children, whereas their parents, they they. They are still from their own country. That's what's natural for them. And, and it's the same story here. Erica, tell me what you're reading right now. Right now, I'm reading Becky, Becky Chambers. And she's just, she's her, her latest is a book of short stories. I told you, Madeira is a very literal, uh, no, 
literary island. So I just bought the book Lanzado Nas Redes from a local nurse, a male nurse, and he writes he writes essays on how it is to be a nurse in COVID times. So and it's it's a good thing it's short stories because it's in Portuguese and I'm learning Portuguese at the moment. So it's a good thing. So I'm practicing my Portuguese while I'm reading it. And then I'm also learning uh, reading this um, the bestseller uh, Ten Lessons for a Post Pandemic World by Farid Zakaria. He's the guy who wrote he wrote a book before COVID uh, where he made a prediction uh, that. He made the prediction in 2017 that one of the biggest threats facing the United States isn't big at all, actually. It's tiny, microscopic, da-da-da, and, and so on, about the virus and pathogens and, and, dense, and how vulnerable we are for a pandemic. So now he's written a second book about the world after pandemic. pandemic. And it's very interesting because, obviously, he's, he's brilliant He's a brilliant thinker. Erica, will you tell my listeners where they can find you online? Okay. Um, they can find me in several places, but if uh, I've got a website for my coaching business, which is called appelroosecoaching.com. You could also search for me at Lund University, Erica Appelrose. You get my university page. If you want to read what I've published in Philosophy of Religion, you can find it there. But otherwise, and if you want to send me an email, it's the same as Erica at uprosecoaching.com. Okay. I want to thank you for joining me today. This has been so lovely talking to you. And I especially want to thank you for introducing me to this book that had never crossed my desk before. And I'm so delighted that it's now a part of my life. That's great. And, and do go on and read the next three books <laughs> in the series. I will. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discuss, please go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie wrote a book. If you'd like to hear more from this week's guest, become a patron of the Best Book Ever podcast. For about the cost of a latte, you'll get exclusive interview clips, monthly book roundups, and curated reading lists. Go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash bestbookever to learn more. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.